Hello, friends. Welcome. You're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. I'm Annie Porter, and I'm joined in studio by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, and Jack Tyson. And of course, we have Father Jim Blunt with us from the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. And we're excited to have a topic of fatherhood today. So we know all good things start in prayer. So, Father, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Yes, Annie. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone in Atlanta and elsewhere. Let's begin with the Lord's Prayer, because we're going to talk about God the Father and fatherhood. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give Give us this day our our daily bread, and and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God bless all of our fathers and our families. Amen. 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 And Father Jack is back. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't Jack of 24, but it's Jack of AM 1160. (laughs) I feel like I'm making a guest appearance. We're glad to have him. Yeah, that's great. Father, we are so glad to have you back live this week. Um, we were so excited last week. We had so many people call in and just give us great feedback on the show last week. And it was the segment particularly on patriotism. We got so many wonderful comments, but uh, most most commonly stated was they loved the George Washington story. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. In fact, team, you may not realize this, but I... I just got back from a, a trip of doing some mission work, and one of the places where I was preaching was in Philadelphia last week, and uh, had the opportunity to go to Valley Forge. Oh wow! wow. Great. And so it was. I just had to. I had to take that opportunity. I had an afternoon off, so to speak, and had my team there drive me, and we found the pillar where George Washington's tent was, and almost certainly where the Virgin Mary appeared to him. And there was an anointing right there to the left of this pillar. There was like an anointing presence. It was unbelievable. And we stood there. We prayed the rosary for the entire United States of America for the complete healing of our nation. Mm-hmm. So we, we found the place where almost certainly the tent, the tent was. There's a marker there and where Our Lady may well have appeared to him. And we had such the most beautiful, meaningful rosary together praying for the country right there in Valley Forge. Wonderful. That's awesome. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. I've had to preach in Philadelphia again in a couple of weeks, and we're going to extend the invitation to others to meet us there. So we'll have a larger, bigger rosary right there at Valley Forge where his tent was because Our Lady appeared to him in his quarters. We're going to pray there again for the whole country in just a couple of weeks. Wonderful. Well, Father, we're excited to get started this week and this topic of fatherhood. It's so important today. And uh, we, Today, as seems appropriate, it's a special feast day, the, the feast day of St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney was a, a simple, holy, and zealous priest, and I, I think he was the patron saint of parish priests. So would you share something about the, this wonderful saint and what role or example that he can play in formation of our priests and uh, the priesthood and our pastors? Yes, thank you. Um, I have a special uh, love for St. John Vianney, a special love. And he is indeed the patron saint of all Catholic priests, uh, not just a certain category of them, but for all priests. And the first thing that comes to our mind, of course, when we think of St. John Vianney, is his zeal. A man of great fire and passion and zeal. And certainly we want to see that, you know, in every priest. That's partly why I think the Church is dying in many places Uh, Because many of our priests have lost their fire and their zeal. But boy, you see just the opposite in John Vianney. The man was explosive. And one of the problems today, I think, is that the electronic media are present everywhere, including in our churches and our rectories. And the more that we watch TV and engage in electronic media, the more it tends to dim our light, to dim our fire. 
So we can see this affecting all the men across the country and across the world, and all fathers, including priests. But another mark of true fatherhood is poverty, that a real father of souls and a father of the family um, has a spirit of poverty. And by that I mean that he's not attached to things of this world, that a real father, a priestly father or a natural father, has a spirit of transcendence. In other words, he's always, he's always looking towards heaven. And that's why God made the father the tallest guy in the family. He's closest to heaven. His head reaches higher up in the sky. He's meant to sort of point us towards heaven. And we certainly see that in St. John Vianney, and that's how we want all of our fathers and our priests to be, a little closer to heaven, so to speak, to lead the families upwards. Isn't that funny how even physically, the way that we're designed by the Holy Trinity, that fathers reach higher into heaven by the height with which they stand. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. St. John Vianney, what a, what a beautiful example he was. But another um, aspect of John Vianney that has always caught me is a story of his life. And it kept coming to me as I was preparing for this show. And so I know I need to mention it. It's kind of a famous episode in his life where St. John Vianney recognized a gentleman from his own parish church there in Ars, a little village in France. And there was a, a wonderful man there, like, like Jack there in the studio, was a faithful Catholic layman who was at Mass every day. But St. John noticed that this, this beautiful soul stayed there after Mass every day of the year. And he would stay for hours and hours when everyone else had left. This gentleman was there every single day for hours, sitting quietly in a back pew. And St. John became mystified and intrigued. And that's something when a saint becomes mystified, you see, by the behavior of a layman in a good way. That is very interesting. There's something holy going on. So St. John finally approached him and asked him a question. And he, he asked him, my brother, you're obviously a man of prayer, and you're here every day. And tell me, how do you pray? And I see, first of all, in that question that St. John asked his parishioner, another quality of true fathers, and that is a real father is not ashamed to ask his son or daughter for advice. Even though the father is the head of the family and really is, should be the source of wisdom, he and his wife for the family, but still a father is not too proud to ask his son or his daughter or a priest to ask a layman, what about this, to get sincere advice from an innocent soul, that quality of humility? Well, he asked his, his good parishioner, how do you pray? Like he wanted to learn from him. What are you doing? It's so beautiful. Tell me, what is your secret? And the old gentleman looked at St. John Vianney, and he said to him, well, Father, he says, I come here every day, and I sit here, and I look at him, God, and he looks at me. And that was his whole answer. Hmm. I look at him, and he looks at me. Hmm. And St. John was so blessed by that answer. And so it brings us to another quality, you see, of, of fatherhood, is, is that silence. And it's very true in many families, but a, a father and a, a layman father has that quality of golden silence, that he doesn't have to speak all the time, that there's like a royal dignity or nobility about the priesthood and fatherhood, that we can rest in silence and just be content with the gaze and the presence of God. But it leads us to another point of priesthood and fatherhood, is the gaze, the gaze of God, the gaze of the Father. That Someone once asked a healing priest, what heals God's sons and daughters? And he answered, God's gaze, God's gaze. And so we fathers have to have a beautiful gaze. Our eyes are the mirrors of our souls. 
Our eyes have to be clean, clean, clean. God needs to protect us from all the evil that's circulating right now on television and the Internet. But we, we fathers have to have a pure and loving gaze. When we look at God's people, they can see the Heavenly Father gazing at them through us and loving them. So these are all simple little lessons we see from St. John Vianney. And he actually said, he said, a famous quote from John Vianney, he said, The glorious duty of man is to pray and to love. This is the duty of all men, and of course of all women too. The glorious duty of humankind. What is our privilege? What is our joy? We pray and we love. This is our privilege, you see. This is our sanctity. Alleluia, alleluia. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wondrous saint he was and he is. And he's alive right now. And, and anyone listening can call upon him at any time, including our, our priest. We can call upon St. John Vianney. And he will come to us and give us, you know, his gift of zeal, you see, and humility and poverty and love and that gift of a holy gaze that heals God's sons and daughters. It should even heal our wives. The men who are married have such a beautiful gaze that when his wife sees him looking at her, she's healed by his loving, affirming presence. Amen. 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 So thank God for this feast day for St. John Vianney. Thank God for this beautiful priest. May we recover our zeal and our fatherly love in our time as well. Mm-hmm. Father, you, you mentioned a, a couple times sort of the, you know, modern-day media, the, the dimming effect that it, that it can have. It seems as, as though, like, today's culture has, has taken away the honor and reverence from the Father as head of the family and, and as spiritual leader. You know, and in, in not a lot of years, it's, it just seems like it's had a lot of consequences already. Can you talk a little bit about how the culture has reshaped uh, sort of the modern-day view of a father's role? Yes. You know, what we see really is um, an inversion, an inversion of values. And, you know, the devil always does that to things that are godly. Um, Bishop Sheen, Venerable Fulton J. Sheen, spoke about how the devil is like the monkey of God. He's the monkey. He, he, he takes what God does and makes it ridiculous. He inverts it. And that's why, for instance, in satanic ceremonies, they take the Holy Cross and they put it upside down. In black masses and other rituals of, of the poor Satanists, I say they're poor because they're really lost and blinded. Their crucifixes are upside down. And that's what the evil one has done to the family. He's reversed it and made it upside down. So instead of the father being the leader, the one who stands the tallest because he's trying to bring us upwards towards heaven, the devil has reversed it and made the father the goofball. The father in every family now, on every show, on every commercial, um, is a goofball. He, he's like um, someone who's a little bit of adult. That means a little bit kind of stupid and not knowing what to do. He doesn't even have a clue, as they say today. And, of course, it's the wife who is the measure, you might say, of all things. She's always very intelligent and very efficient. And then it's the child who's the genius in every family. The child has all the answers and even is a bit smart mouth to mother and father in most of the shows. And so we reverse God's order, putting the child absolutely first, and then, and then the mother as second, and then the father as third or nothing. The devil always inverses the values of God, causing extreme and complete confusion in many families. And so now it's become, it's become shameful for a man to be a man. A man is not allowed to be a leader. He's not allowed to be strong, that that's somehow sinful, that he's suppressing everyone uh, by taking his natural role. And so what culture has done, what the TV has done, is giving us a, not only a false values, but a false gospel. 
And it, it brings to mind St. Jim Agagani and other saints as well, who had that prophetic vision long before there was any electricity circulating around of a black box in every home throughout all the nations. It was amazing how the saints said this black box was even in Catholic homes. I thought that was intriguing how they made that point. Even in Catholic homes. In other words, in families that are supposed to be part of the kingdom of heaven was this black box. And they said that in this black box and through this black box that a false gospel was being preached and a false messiah was being offered. There's something anti-gospel and anti-Christ. And the devil was controlling the world through this black box. Now, isn't that interesting that we're seeing in our culture so influenced by the television and by the computers and by the iPhones, we're seeing these black boxes of various sizes. And they indeed are giving us a false gospel because part of the gospel is the family. The family is God's creation. And Jesus came and died on the cross to save the family, to restore it, not kill it, not to invert it, but to save the family and to restore it. So we are seeing this, Jack, you're right, in our culture today, there's something in a militant anti-family spirit and a tremendous attack against manhood and fatherhood. And it seems to me that perhaps there's a lot of people in Hollywood who have huge father wounds, maybe gaping wounds from their own childhood. And so maybe they hate their fathers, have never forgiven their fathers. And we see the result of that is their creative work is so destructive. Everything is anti-fatherhood. So we really do need an amazing restoration of the family and begin to love our fathers and to see fatherhood as something beautiful, something divine. My goodness, when you see a good father like John Paul the Great, the whole world fell in love with him. That's right. The whole world fell in love with St. John Paul. I remember having the wonderful privilege to attend his funeral mass in Rome, representing the church of the country of Belize in Central America. I, re- I had the great honor to represent our church and our bishops there. And at the mass, they, I had also the great gift of being placed right up there next, right close to the coffin, actually, right up there on the altar by some miraculous providence. The reason I say that is I had a very good view. I could see everything from where I was seated. And I was right behind the President of the United States of America was sitting in a chair in front of me. So I could see everything. And the reason I mention that is because I saw all the leaders of the world and all leaders of all the churches of the world, including Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. They were gathered all around on one side or the other. And then millions of people in front of the altar. It was as as if the whole world and every culture, nation, and religion came to honor their father. They loved John Paul. Why? Because he was a holy father. Amen? Amen. Amen. I see something beautiful in fatherhood, you see, and this is what we're not seeing today. And most of us acknowledge it in our mothers. Indeed, our mothers are beautiful. But what's happening is we're destroying fatherhood, and this is a great mistake, and we look forward to the day when this is going to be healed, and it's, it's actually in the Holy Bible. In the last book of the Old Testament, it's an amazing prophecy from the prophet Malachi, that in the final days, says the Lord, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the sons and daughters to their fathers. I will turn their hearts back to each other. And so you can see that God from all eternity saw what was going to happen and declared the healing or the restoration of this great boo-boo, this great mistake. God's going to restore fatherhood and restore the love between children and their fathers. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a time we're living in. Yes. It is. Uh-huh. It is. I, I I don't know if this is a good follow-up question or a show uh, all by itself, but sure. it, could could you just talk to us a little bit about God as our ultimate father? 
Yes, I think, Jack, to, to a certain extent, that's the whole point of what's happening right now. Um, I, one of my advantages, too, in perspective is I've worked in the field of exorcism and deliverance for many years. And so I've seen, you might say, the anti-father. His name is Lucifer. I've seen him. He's actually come to my room at night on more than one occasion. And he's a very hateful creature. And sacred scripture, the infallible word of God, tells us that Lucifer himself even boasted at one time that he would place his throne, his throne, above the throne of God. And so the, the arrogance or the lack of humility of the enemy is breathtaking. That he's one of millions and millions of angels that God created, and yet he, he as a creature, he's a creature like us, you see. He's a creature. He's not a creator. He was created. But he places himself equal to or above the throne of God the Father. He's consumed with jealousy and hatred and pride. And so, dear listeners, to all who are listening now, listen, we all can get tempted. There's a special call right now that all of us can be tempted at one time or another with jealousy, you see, or bitterness, or unforgiveness, or pride. Beloved, when you feel that within your spirit, you must kneel down immediately. Kneel down on the floor and beg God to forgive you and to take it away. If you need to, go to confession. But don't let those, you might say, uh, Luciferian traits have any room inside of you. As soon as we feel these things, we want to get rid of them right away. It does not come from God. It's not human either. It's diabolical. And so our enemy despises his creator. And to me, this is so incredible because God actually made him. He was the most beautiful of all the angels. And his name Lucifer was actually a nice name. It wasn't meant to be a bad name. Lucifer means the bearer of light. God made him incredibly beautiful, and you might say he fell in love with himself. He fell in love with himself, so to speak. And from that, you might say, all the torturous problems proceeded. And they began to hate all of his fellow angels, so to speak, to put himself above his, his fellow angels. And he asked them to revolt with him. And so this cosmic battle that's taking place now, it started several thousand years ago is, you might say, the ultimate of Lucifer hating his father. His father is our father, the heavenly father, who is beautiful beyond belief, beyond words. And perhaps one of Lucifer's problems was this, and this is kind of an interesting point, being the most beautiful, the most talented, the most intelligent, the most powerful angel, he fell in love with his own gifts. He began to love the gifts of the giver more than the giver of the gifts. Mm -hmm. He became consumed with his own gifts instead of loving the one who gave them to him. And so this is kind of um, an interesting point here to make. If you're short, fat, balding, and ugly, give praise to God, because you're probably going to be saved. If you're handsome, you know, and full of intelligence and gifts, you better be careful. In other words, pride is, pride precedeth the fall. And so if you have some sort of problem, you say maybe you have a bit, little bit of a limp and something is wrong somewhere, uh, you know, that's probably your greatest gift because these things have a way of keeping us humble. And what I'm getting at is if you have some little flaw or boo-boo in your appearance or maybe you stutter, well, Moses stuttered as well. These little tiny flaws can be saving gifts because if we're too handsome, too beautiful, too talented, we end up falling in love with ourselves and thinking of ourselves as better than other people. And so I mean this in a very nuanced way. If you do have gifts, give thanks to God for your gifts, indeed. But be very, very careful. Always love the giver of your gifts more than you love the gifts that he gave you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And this is what's happening, I believe, in this battle, that the Father, you see, created all the angels and all mankind. He created the whole world just for us. I'm looking outside now in my rectory here in Covington. It's so utterly beautiful, the greenery all around me. It's so utterly beautiful. He made everything for us, and he made us for himself. And so here, you see, the Father is the origin of all life. It is the Father through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who made us. He is our origin. 
And Jesus came to bring us where? Back to the Father. So he's our destiny as well. And I don't know how to say this in human words, but I want to proclaim this somehow. I want to say to everyone who's now listening, your Father in heaven is so unutterably beautiful. If you were to see him for a split second, you would die, physically die, out of the beauty and the greatness of God. He's too much for us to comprehend, and that's why he hides. He hides, not because he doesn't like us. He's so incredible. If we were to see him, we couldn't bear it. And that's why when we die, actually die, and we are worthy of God, we receive a gift called the beatific vision. It's actually a gift. It's a Holy Spirit supernatural gift. What is that gift? It means that when I get to heaven, I have the strength to look at God face to face and not die. That's called the beatific vision. You can't look at God and live. That's in the Bible. Why? Because he's too beautiful. So God has to give me a gift called the beatific vision. So when I finally leave this earth and I'm worthy of heaven through the blood of Jesus, then I can look at God and not die. I can look at him and rejoice forever in his goodness and his love and his beauty. Alleluia. Alleluia. Wow, what an incredible first half of this hour. You're listening to Heaven's Light on Atlanta Catholic Radio, AM 1160, The Quest. And we'll be back with more on our topic of fatherhood right after this break. The Quest presents Mom Minutes with Cameron Frad from Among the Lilies. I think that we are so blessed as Catholics to have Mama Mary, okay? When my kids are little, they call her Mama Ma, and then eventually she becomes Mama Mary. We are so blessed with Blessed Virgin Mary, whatever name you want to call her. Um, she's amazing. She's a mom. She gets it, right? She totally gets it, and she desires us to know and encounter her son. So when you have had a hard day and you felt like you have failed today as a mom, um, ask for her help. When you don't know what to do for your child, I turn to her, and I'm like, okay, Mary, I don't know what my son needs right now, but you do. So you please fill in the gaps, fill in the pieces where, where I'm messing up here and you just be with them. You help him, you help her, encourage them and lead them to your son. Let them know him, love him and serve him. And I think that we get to take advantage of that, which is really cool. Um, I am nowhere near as good of a mom as her, but I try and by her grace, she will teach me how to be a good mom too. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Hi there, I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. The COVID-19 situation has affected us all, including your local Catholic radio station. We need your help to make sure this vital missionary work continues. No gift is too small. Together, we can make a difference. Please make a donation to support the work of this station today. Thank you, and God bless. Donate at thequestatlanta.com. Please join us in a parent's prayer to St. Monica. St. Monica, patron of Christian mothers, we entrust to your protection the children whose names you can read in our hearts. Pray for them that they may be granted strength to combat weakness, give them victory over temptations, guidance to resolve their doubts, and success in all their undertakings. May they enjoy health of mind and body, see beauty and worth in all created things, and serve the Lord with firm faith, joyful hope, and enduring love. Amen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. We're here in the studio this hour, and I'm joined by Steph Ike, Carol Tearsmith, and Jack Tyson. I'm Annie Porter, and on the phone with us, we have Father Jim Blunt. So before the break, I think, Steph, you had a question you were about to ask Father, but we had to quickly run off air. Yes. Hi, Father. Hello, guys. Uh, Father, let me ask you something. This is a little bit of a two-part question that really addresses men and women. Um, if you're really thinking about the modern-day view of fathers today and what we see on TV, as you mentioned earlier, doesn't it also result in really diminishing man's responsibility and accountability? And then on the other side of that, 
besides, you know, the, the man's responsibility, do women need to make some changes as well to meet God's plan? Well, well, Stephanie, you just set off a nuclear bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops, we have too many questions. (laughs) (laughs) And we've brought the women into it now. (laughs) It's incredibly powerful, and it's very insightful. Thank you for such a wise question as well. But you see, I think it's it's the work of of Satan. You know, remember the bishop called him the monkey of God. He wants to make men into fools. God's plan is, is for the man to uh, not only to lead his family, his wife and children to heaven, and to remind them of heaven, and to be their leader in prayer and worship, but he's also to protect his, his sons and daughters and his wife, to protect them. And it's hard for him to do his job, to teach them, to lead them, to protect them, if his wife and children disrespect him day and night. The evil one knows that the father is like a wall, a defending wall around his wife and children, and also a defending wall around the church. So Lucifer knows if he can destroy manhood and fatherhood and make all men into fools, or another way to say this is keep all men adolescent. Never let them grow up. Let them remain teenagers forever, never becoming real men. Well, then there's no one to lead the family to heaven. There's no one to protect him from Lucifer's attacks. It's exactly what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to be led to heaven. He wants to lead everyone to hell. He doesn't want you to be protected. He wants the wall down so he can enter whenever he wants into your child's bedroom. As your child has a TV set with cable television or a computer with Wi-Fi in his bedroom that dad has failed to monitor. And Satan enters right into the bedroom of the child doing his dastardly work. And so, yes, the evil one has done such a work on us that now fathers are not respected. They're encouraged to be adolescent. And we have to mention here the whole culture of contraception and abortion. We have to mention this. It's promoted by everything we see in the culture. But what happens when, when mothers and wives and, and women in general, when they approve the use of contraception and abortion, they simply encourage men to use the holy gift of sexual intimacy in, in the wrong way, to use it just as pleasure-seeking, to use the woman in their lives, but never to take responsibility for the women of their lives and the children that they conceive. And so everything in our culture is making men into little boys, into adolescents, even worse, frequently making men into animals, and even worse, I would say, making men even diabolic and foolish. And so we can see the devil's tactic here. If there is no man to lead, to teach, and to protect, then it leaves the field wide open for the evil one to come in and consume everyone and everything. This is, you might say, Satan's master tactic. And as Sister Lucia, I understand that her canonization is now well underway. She may well be Saint Sister Lucia, perhaps in a few short years, just like her cousins. Lucia was told by Our Lady that the final attack of Lucifer would be against the family. Well, who's the head of the family? The head of the family is the father. So how do you attack the family? You remove the head, and you you trample him underfoot. So it's absolutely essential now that we pray for a new understanding of fatherhood. And just like John Paul the Great, just like St. Joseph, a true fatherhood is something beautiful to behold, something magnificent. And those who are, who are listening, if you had a good father, you know what I'm talking about. There's something awesome. I mean, to use the simplest word, there's something godly about a father. Absolutely godly, because God himself is a father. What do we need to do? This is a tough one. Because the first answer, though, is, is which just like John Vianney said, right? Our great privilege is to love and to pray. We have to begin loving our fathers, even if they were less, you might say, than adequate. We need to begin loving the men in our lives, loving the fathers, and praying for them. Loving them and praying for them, uh, that God will restore them to their proper place. And their place is not as a dictator. 
Even God the Heavenly Father is not a dictator. Look how much freedom he's given us. Mm-hmm. He's given us so much freedom, we're destroying ourselves with the freedom he gave us. And he will intervene very, very shortly, by the way, very shortly. In fact, he's intervening now. Only when we make him intervene because we're destroying ourselves. Like any good parent would do when father or mother sees the child on a suicidal path. Of course, the parents would intervene. They might have to intervene dramatically to save their beloved son or daughter from doing harm to themselves or even killing themselves. The father may have to intervene and will intervene in that way. But we see, brothers and sisters, that fatherhood is something necessary and beautiful. He's not meant to be a dictator. Most men I know don't even want to be dictators. So we need to begin to love our fathers and pray for them. So what can we do about uh, our beautiful women, the women of God? What can they do about this? It's a very good question, but I've met so many holy women of God as I travel around the country and around the world who are really concerned because it seems to me that a real woman wants her husband to be a real man. Mm-hmm. I think a real man would want to marry a real woman. But we don't want to marry like someone who's foolish or adolescent. And so holy women realize there's something missing. It's built into our DNA, into our nature. And so our women need to really encourage their husbands, their sons, their brothers, their nephews. Encourage them uh, to, to step up into their role. And it can be done, you know, in a very gentle way. John Paul speaks about the feminine genius. There's a feminine genius. And so I think one of the worst things that women can do is to trample on the men in their lives, to be competing with them. The woman should be the helpmate of her husband, not the dominator of her husband, either overtly, you see, or covertly. And so to not to try to dominate the men in your lives or to compete with them, but to be just like the Virgin Mary, to associate with them and to assist the men in your life, to take the role that they have to be leaders, to be the leaders. And so I think their gentle love and their powerful prayers are two of the most important things that women can do. And it teaches their daughters uh, not to compete with, with men as, as if they were everyone's the same and we're in this competition with men and make them grovel in the dirt. Well, that's nothing to do with humanity or femininity. That's actually something aggressive, uncharitable, and sinful. To do that to anyone in the human race, to try to make them grovel, whether it's a man, a woman, a child, whoever it is. And so to teach the girls in our families and our lives to love the boys and not to disrespect them. And of course, the boys have to be taught by their fathers and mothers to love and respect the girls. But to remove that terrible spirit of competition. We weren't meant to compete with one another. And this is part of that division the spirit of division that is the evil spirit. We need a spirit of unity and for men and women to love each other and to respect their roles and their gifts. Mm. Well, I'm sure that today there's a number of men who, you know, in today's culture are more worried about being the moneymaker, the provider, and they really see that as a primary role. You know, maybe sometimes to the detriment of the equally important roles as being the leader, the father, the husband. So how would you respond to these fathers, and what do you think that they should be doing in terms of how they teach their sons? Well, I have um, an image in my mind of a healing mass that I was blessed to, to celebrate in Belmopan, which is the capital city of the nation of Belize, and had the joy to, to celebrate a healing mass there for the people of that area. And I'll never forget during the healing service, which was after the Holy Mass, there was praying over hundreds and hundreds of people. And there was something beautiful happening. The Holy Spirit was really moving. We had several people were healed of heart conditions spontaneously. Many beautiful things were occurring. 
But something then happened that just stood out in my mind forever. It's like burned into my memory. Because most of the people who were coming for healing, there was quite a few, but, you know, there was 10 more or less as family groups, of course. So you would have, you know, a, a husband and wife or a father and mother and their children. And different family pairings were up there, and they were all lined up in front of the altar. We would go through a whole set of them, you know, and come back around and do another whole set of people praying over them. And I came to this one family in particular. It was an Indian family. And it was a father and a mother and their four sons. And they were, the first thing I noticed was they were dressed so beautifully. They were at Holy Mass. No, it wasn't a Sunday Mass. It was during the week, but it was a very holy healing Mass. And they were dressed beautifully. The father was wearing this beautiful suit with a tie. And his bride, his wife, had this beautiful dress on. And such respect, you see, for the liturgy. The father, the head of the family, the tallest one in the family, although he wasn't very tall, it's an Indian family, so they all were kind of short in stature, but he was the tallest among them. And his example of this impeccable dressing that he wore, this suit that he had on, was so respectful of God. By that example, he's teaching his wife and children what it means to worship God. He was becoming a leader in worship there. So they all were dressed, and the four boys had on a suit and tie just like their father. And they looked just like him, the same color shirt, same color suit, the same color tie. And there were four sizes, like the biggest boy, then number two, number three, number four, and four different sizes went down. It was so cute. They were standing in a row like that. <laughs> As I came up to pray over this family, this beautiful father knelt down on the floor. Now, there were hundreds and hundreds of people <clears throat> praying over all of them, but this was the only family that knelt to the ground. He was so humble and so reverent as I came up to him to anoint him with a relic in my hand. He knelt to the floor, his head bowed. His wife imitated him perfectly, and the four boys, one, two, three, and four, four different sizes, knelt on the floor, their hands held in prayer just like their father, their heads bowed just like their father. It was, to be honest with you, a breathtaking sight to see four manly young men imitating their father completely, perfectly, and exactly. All of them, just like their father. Their father was humble. They were humble. Their father worshipped. They worshipped. Their father bowed their head. They bowed their hand. Mm. It was simply amazing to me to see this. And it shows you the effect of a father on a family, what he can do to the family by his example. So this is one of the most perfect examples I've ever seen of the role of a father in his family and how he can lead the family uh, back to God by his example. Now, I don't know if I answered the question uh, completely. Go ahead and lead me on a little bit now. What more should I answer here? Well, we were talking about positioning money and being the provider, and if we've kind of put too much emphasis on that. And I also asked you about, you know, what advice you would have for, you know, how men should teach their and train up their sons. And this story really t kind of tells it for me. It's beautiful. Still have it in my mind. So, yeah, so the first part was really more about, you know, how important is money and being the provider, because I think we've made that very important today for men. Yes, that was, was triggering me because we, fathers have to provide something for their sons and daughters more than money. They have to provide for their sons and daughters faith and adoration, a good example, and love. And yes, they are providers, and providing for the material needs of their sons and daughters um, certainly is an important thing. But we can certainly put this in first place when it's not really in first and so we do see many Catholic families where the fathers are great providers, but the fathers sometimes don't even go to church on Sunday. So they provide their children no faith, you might say, uh, no example, uh, no heavenly tra trajectory. The things the fathers to provide for their sons is something much more than what we can touch. It's, there's something spiritual. Fathers have to be the spiritual heads of their family. And, you know, we see this as well with the example of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. The example there. 
that when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and came up out of the river, that the voice of his father was heard. And the father, first thing he said to his son was, son, I'm glad you came. I'm going to provide for you now a beautiful mansion and your own car or in that time your own donkey to drive around in. I'll provide all this for you because you're my son. He didn't say that, did he? No. And Jesus had taken a body, right? He was on the earth. He needed those things. But the first thing the father said was, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Mm-hmm. And so what did he do? He affirmed his son in the presence of his peers. He affirmed him. And he affirmed him with great love and great authority. It would seem to me that this example of the relationship between the father and the son is of the utmost importance. It's very crucial. So what's, what's the first thing that a father should give to his sons and daughters? I think the same thing the heavenly father gave to Jesus. The father must affirm his sons and daughters in their dignity. This is what they need the most. They might need a house and a car later, sure. What they need, first of all, is their dignity. And we know now from counseling, from all the social sciences, the ones that are actually valid, and true counseling, that sons and daughters actually receive their identity from their fathers. That's a gift that comes from our fathers. It does not come from other members of the family. It's the love of the father and his relationship with his sons and daughters that actually anoints the children and gives them the gift of knowing who they are. Without the presence of fathers in the family and the real presence, not just physical presence, but a loving spiritual presence, children do not know who they are. They are totally confused. And so we see this in many, many families today. Children are utterly confused. Girls think they are boys, and boys think they are girls. And that's just the beginning of of the difficulty. But when the father is present, he says to his sons, how is my beloved son today? How is my beloved son? And he affirms his son in his identity and puts him on his mission. Listen to him. He does the same things to his daughter as well. It seems to be the most important thing that fathers can give their children is their identity. That they are sons and daughters, not just his sons and daughters, but they are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And that he needs to give them love. Children need love more than they need food. They need love. So this indeed, this is provision. This is the kind of provision our fathers need to make first. To be present to their children, both as daddies but is making God the Father present to them as well. If he does these things first, the other things will follow. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingship of God and his way of holiness, the way of love, and all these other things will follow. This seems to be what's missing today and what's most desperately needed for fathers to breathe into their sons and daughters his love and their identity. Wow. Father, that's so that's so important, and I think uh, we we've touched on this this identity that this identity issue, and you know, unfortunately, not all children have that relationship with their father, and um, maybe they have an, even a negative relationship with their father, and so as a result, some of these children, even as they approach approach adulthood, may have a hard time relating to God, the Father. So, what advice or words of comfort would you offer to people? Um, in their relationship with God the Father in these circumstances? Yes, it's, it can be a very, very difficult problem. Um, there, are, there are ways. God always has a solution. It may not be instantaneous. You see, like in heaven, there's, there's no instant oatmeal and instant grits in heaven. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's, it's all made by the angels the natural way, you see, <laughs> or the supernatural way. And so some of our healings, they don't all come spontaneously or instantaneously. The holy gift of perseverance is needed. You see, it's it's ironic because that's one of the gifts a father gives to his sons and daughters. He teaches them by his manly courage and strength to persevere, not to give up. So see, there's a double problem when you don't have a father in the family. You don't know who you are, but you don't have the perseverance to seek it either, you see? Mm-hmm. It's a huge crisis. It's a worldwide crisis right now. What are the solutions? 
Well, there are quite a few things that can be done. Um, and I can mention them, you know, maybe briefly. Uh, one important factor here is the gift of forgiveness. That it would seem to me that most sons and daughters who've had a problem, that's quite a few actually, uh, with their daddies, need to go through a process of forgiveness. A process of forgiveness. And there are several um, techniques to do this with. Uh, we've actually come up with one here in Covington. It's a four-step process that the Holy Spirit sort of led me on many years ago because so many were asking me how to forgive truly and actually, to forgive their fathers and other people who have hurt them. That's probably one of the most important things we need to do is to begin forgiving our fathers and anyone else who's hurt us. Forgive them with the four steps of forgiveness. And it begins with a decision. So I have to make a decision in my spirit. I know my father did this or did that, or maybe my father wasn't even present, which is also a sin, a sin of omission. I'm going to decide now in the name of Jesus. He died for me while I was still a sinner. He died for me. I'm now going to forgive my father as well. Even though I'm not yet reconciled, I'm going to make a decision to forgive. We have to begin forgiving our fathers and praying for them. Those are the first two steps of forgiveness. We're going to begin forgiving our dads, making a decision right now. I'm going to forgive my dad for all he did or didn't do, and I'm going to pray for him. And one of the reasons why that I'm saying this is that if I don't ever forgive my father, then it's like I live in isolation. I isolate myself from him and him from me. And when I when I reject my father, I have a way of rejecting all fathers when I reject my father. When I reject my dad, there's a way of rejecting all men when we reject our dads as well. And so it's something very harmful to us. But when I forgive my father and begin to accept him and pray for him, I begin to look upon all fathers in a different light. I begin to see all men in a different light. And so half the human race suddenly becomes palatable to me and maybe even meaningful to me. So the first and most important thing we can do, I think, is to begin a process of forgiving our fathers and praying for them. And we do have a special handout here in Covington where we could be glad to send them to people, the four steps of forgiveness. We could even talk about it maybe on a show later this month, what those four steps are. Mm-hmm. We'd be glad to send that to people you know, by snail mail or by email, those four steps of forgiveness. That's the most important thing. But I want to mention what the Holy Spirit also whispered to me as I was reading this question and preparing beforehand. And there's a special prayer, a one-line prayer, that everyone listening can pray easily. It's an approved prayer, but it's only one line. And this is the line that calls upon the blood of Jesus. And I find it very significant that the relatively new messages of God the Father to the world through Sister Eugenia, the beautiful message of the Father to the human race, was given on the feast day. The apparition occurred on the feast day of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus shed his blood, you see, to reconcile mankind with the Father, to reconcile us. So to say this approved and anointed prayer, it goes like this. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save us and the whole world. See, the blood of Jesus is the source of all healing, of all deliverance. It's the source of our salvation, the shed blood of Jesus. When someone's suffering with a father wound, they need a prayer that you might say is short and simple, not too complicated, not too difficult. And so I would encourage good people who are listening now to try this 12-word prayer, which has an imprimatur, by the way, from the bishop in Nigeria, to try this prayer, most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save us and the whole world. Team, if you would answer this to me, I want to say the first half of the prayer. If you could answer, save us in the whole world. We're going to say this prayer right now, five times in a row, for anyone who has a father wound in the listening audience, okay? Okay. 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 Let's try this right now. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ, save us in the whole world. Now, team, isn't that a powerful prayer? It is. It's a beautiful prayer. It's an anointed prayer. I use it literally all over the world. I've noticed in particular when I pray with teenagers, they receive an anointing or a presence of the Holy Spirit usually within seconds. They feel Mm. the presence of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask us to say it five more times for all the teenagers, those who are listening, but those who are part of the families of those who are listening. In fact, let's pray for all the teenagers of our country, so many of whom are suffering with father wounds. Let's offer this prayer for them because it has a special healing and deliverance power. So for all the young people in Atlanta and throughout the country, we now pray, most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. Most precious blood of Jesus Christ. Save us in the whole world. My brothers and sisters listening and our beautiful team as well, this prayer is extremely efficacious and effective. And one of its qualities is to deliver me from the work of the enemy. The devil attacks everyone, from the pope down to the homeless man. He, he attacks all of us. And if I have a father wound, the devil wants to keep me in a spirit of unforgiveness, maybe a spirit of resentment as well. He wants to keep me in a spirit of confusion. The remarkable thing is this simple one-line prayer revealed from heaven to a visionary and approved by the church, it goes right to the root of my heart and my soul. And any demonic presence is keeping me in unforgiveness or confusion, anger, hatred, bitterness. Those kinds of things are loss of identity. Those demons begin to leave. Amen? Amen. I've seen it before me many, many times. And so it's not a level playing field until you pray the blood of Jesus. It knocks out the demonic presence and makes it easier for me to forgive and to love and to pray for my Father. So I certainly would recommend this, too, as a very important, simple but powerful method to be freed of any darkness that's holding me. It opens the door for me now to begin to love my Father and to forgive Him and to bless Him. I'll give you one more idea, simple one, just in case. Anyone can do this, including those who are not Catholic. And that is, go to the local Catholic Church or an Orthodox Church, because the Orthodox Christians also have the gift of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. They have the presence of God, true God and true man, Jesus Christ, in the Eucharist. And whenever we sit before the Lord in the Eucharist, the Father is present. The Father never leaves the side of His Son, ever, ever. Even on the cross, the Father was in torment as His Son died for us. The Father gave His Son to us. The Son offered His life freely. You might say that the Father died of a broken heart on Calvary. Mm. The Father never leaves His Son's side. And so when we go to the Eucharist, we go to the local church where the presence of the Lord is, the Father is there. As we sit quietly and open our hearts to him, we should say, Father, I love you and I need you. Reveal your love to me. Reveal your love. Heal what is broken inside of me. Reconcile me with yourself and with my daddy, too. Reconcile me. There, before the Eucharist, I promise you, you will encounter the Heavenly Father who loves you and who can heal every single wound. You will encounter him there. Wow. wow, another incredible hour, Father Jim. Thank you so much for joining us on Heaven's Light. And Father Jim, would you wrap us up with a prayer and a blessing? Yes, Annie. I'm going to say the little prayer that was revealed also to Sister Eugenia and the revelations of God the Father. It's called the Fiat of the Eternal Father. It's quite literally beautiful. It's a short prayer that the Father has asked us to say every day. Every Catholic, every Protestant, everyone in the world can say this prayer every day. And it goes like this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Team, why don't you say this after me? It's not very long. If you could say this beautiful prayer after me. My beloved Father. My beloved Father. Thy will be done. 
Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Be thou my Father. Be thou my Father. Be always my eternal Father. Be always my eternal Father. Do not leave my soul. Do not leave my soul. Do not abandon me. Do not abandon me. Do not cast me out of your sight, my Father. Do not cast me out of your sight, my Father. For I am your child. For I am your child. Whom you have created to please you. Whom you have created to please you. To adore you. To adore you. To honor you. To honor you. Living my days. Living my days. As you have given me the license to live it. As you have given me the license to live it. I offer up this fiat. I offer up this fiat. Through Mary. Through Mary. To Jesus. To Jesus. To you, Eternal Father. To you, Eternal Father. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with, and with your, your spirit. May everyone who's listening, and indeed the entire country, be covered with the love of the Heavenly Father and be restored to a healing relationship with our earthly fathers. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, and thank you, everyone, for listening to Heaven's Light on your Atlanta Catholic radio station, AM 1160, The Quest. Stay tuned. The Divine Mercy Chaplet is coming up next. 